Friends, good morning. Good morning and happy Sunday. You can say happy Sunday, I guess, if you want. I don't know where that came from. Yeah, okay. Right. Well, good morning. Welcome to, uh, to worship at Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church, where you're never quite sure what the greeting will be, apparently, right? Anyway, it's good to see all of you today, and uh, good to remember also those of you joining us online uh, with uh, simultaneously from home or at some point after the fact during the week that's coming ahead. Um, when we gather as a church, we're doing this in multiple different ways now, and so we want to welcome all of you, and also want to highlight that for some of us uh, in particular, we are returning to church or reconnecting to church uh, for the first time. And so if that is you, or if you are somehow finding yourself in a season of life where you are trying to find a connection to church or to faith again after a long time, um, we see that, and we recognize that. Uh, everyone in life right now is trying to put things back together in their lives. And uh, as a church, that's part of the reason that this summer we are turning our attention to um, a book in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, to talk about wisdom. Um, because wisdom is a, is a road. It's about navigating life in sometimes very contradictory or confusing circumstances. And so if if finding church and connecting to church is part of what you are looking for, welcome, and we're glad that you're here. I want to highlight for all of us a couple of things that are coming up in the near future. One is just after the service today. Uh, as we worship together, one of the things that we are trying to do is take, take these things that we're singing and saying home with us. And one of the ways that we can do that is by discussing briefly together for a couple of minutes what we're hearing in the scriptures. We do this through sermon discussion. And so 15 minutes after the service ends, uh, please do join us right downstairs below where you are sitting, if you're in the room, uh, in the foundation room for a sermon discussion. There's air conditioning, so hey, there's that, right? Um, the other thing is that coming up on July 16th, uh, our, our town, Northbridge, has a, has a big birthday. We're, we are turning 250 years old. Um, 250 years young, right? Um, and to celebrate that, we have fireworks on Saturday night, but also a, a parade uh, for our, our birthday party. And as a church, we have a spot in the parade. And we are looking for anyone and everyone who would like to come show up and walk with us in that parade. And so if you're interested, please contact Sadie at the church office. She can get you information about that. Uh, and you can get a little exercise, right? So those are things that are coming up. Uh, but for now, you have gathered here in this place uh, to worship together, to be the gathered community in the presence of God. And in God's presence, you have found yourself in the presence of the one in whom all the riches of the wisdom of God are found. And so, friends, you're in good company. Would you rise and let's worship together? Good morning. Welcome to Pleasant Street. Lord be with you. Friends, we've gathered here today seeking wisdom and healing. In whom do you trust? Our help is in the name of God our Father, who spoke the heavens into being with the words of wisdom through the Son. Through the power of the Spirit, we pray and work, bearing the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. We serve in humility with our heart full of kindness, goodness, Gentleness, Send your spirit upon us and shine your glory on us that we may know you better. 
so many voices that trumpet their own greatness, boast of their beauty, flaunt their power, and squander their wealth, some even in the name of Jesus. Yet here we are in a world that is broken daily by the foolish arrogance of men and women just like us. Whenever there is exploitation, neglect, violence, Wherever people are tempted to think of themselves as better than others, more worthy, more deserving. Heal us of our envy and of our greed. Teach us to serve and love our neighbors and our family with the same grace and humility that you show toward us. Amen. Take this moment in a silent confession. Sisters and brothers, speak and hear the good news. Surely, he took up our pain and bore our suffering. We thought him punished by God, stricken and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Like sheep, each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Receive this forgiving love of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. When we gather for worship together, we do so to reconnect to each other and to God. And that happens by taking responsibility for becoming aware of the things that have broken fellowship between each other and God. Having confessed our sin, we are reminded again of what God has done for us to make 
us whole in Him and reconnected to Him, assured of this new relationship, it is right and fitting that we should respond and say thank you. And we get to do that together now by practicing our thank you, by lifting up some of what God has given us for the offering. So this is different for us because usually this happens later in the service, uh, but we've moved it forward. And also the deacons will be coming up and passing baskets. If you are uncomfortable uh, giving in that way, you can donate by using the QR code or if you would prefer to do that, um, or by dropping off checks during the week. Let's respond to God together. as we continue our worship.
Friends, the peace of Christ is with you. Just take a moment now to just pass the peace to your neighbors. Can we have all the Kid Street kids from age four through second grade come forward for Kid Street? People of God, what is our prayer? Lord, continue to show us your wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Amen. And the Lord be with you. And also with you. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Good morning. There we go. My name is Dawn LaFrancis, and I am one of the elders here at Pleasant Street, and it is my privilege to lead us in prayer this morning. Um, my prayer this morning, as you know, we celebrate this week Independence Day, and I thought a lot about that, and um, the words this morning are not all my own. Some of them are from past presidents, um, other leaders in faith. But I thought it important this morning for us to think about and be thankful for the privilege that we have, the freedoms that we have, and at the same time also to remember the persecuted church and persecuted countries um, who do not enjoy the same freedoms that we do. That freedom came at a cost and um, we are grateful for it. And one of those freedoms that we have is the opportunity to worship um, publicly and also through the means of electronics. So to those who are worshiping from home this morning, um, we're grateful for the opportunity to be able to worship with you and to have you share with us. Um, we wish that you were here with us in person and for whatever the reason you're not able to, um, we still feel joined with you and we're thankful for this means to do it. So if you would bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence this morning and acknowledge you as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus, our brother and willing sacrifice sent to redeem our lives, we want to sit in and feel your presence this morning as your disciples did when you walked with them here on earth. Holy Spirit, we long for you to blow through this place and the many places where we are gathered this morning. Breathe new life and passion into our tired and often weary souls. Lord, as a nation this week, we celebrate Independence Day, a day on which we remember, celebrate, and give thanks for the freedoms we enjoy daily. We are thankful for the abundant blessings you have bestowed on America. Our forefathers look to you as protector, provider, and the promise of hope. Our nation was founded to be one nation under God. But as individuals and as a nation, we have wandered far from that firm foundation. May we repent for turning our backs on your faithfulness. We pray that this great nation will be restored by your forgiveness. You have blessed us not because of our goodness, but solely by your grace. 
You have given us freedom to worship you in spirit and in truth as your holy word instructs. May our lives honor you in word and deed. May our nation acknowledge that all good things come from the Father above. Lord, we come together as your body today to lift up our country's leaders. King of Kings, it is you who appoints the nation's leaders in Washington and at the state and local levels. We pray for wisdom and the salvation of all of our nation's leaders that they may know you. We pray for our leaders and courts to protect our freedom and make wise decisions so that we might live out our faith freely without fear. Lord, we are here to stand in the gap for our land before you. Forgive us for placing our hope in the government, political ideologies, comfort, financial security, and other circumstances. By your power, teach us to live with the realization in the forefront of our minds that our true citizenship is in heaven. We repent that in our prosperity, we have often forgotten you and have become self-reliant. We confess our sin of putting our own will above yours, which you have laid out in your word. Purify our hearts, which are often so quick to wander. Jesus, as you ministered to and walked with people from all walks of life when you lived among us, please heal and protect our country from the division that challenges our ability to live lives pleasing to you. Forgive us for losing sight of being your body to the world. Open our eyes, our hands, and our voices to defend the vulnerable and voiceless and bring justice to those who have suffered injustice. Give us hearts that celebrate your goodness, not only to ourselves, but to others. Lord, we praise you for Duane's successful lung transplant, for healing that is nothing short of miraculous, and that he has been able to return home. We continue to pray not only for full healing for Duane, but that many lives will also be changed by his family's testimony to your faithfulness. We thank you, too, for the good news that little Jacob was able to return home again, and we pray that you would continue to be with him and provide him a full recovery from his sickness. Heavenly Father, we also lift up to you the needs of our community and our families, for your continued care over our shut-ins, for encouragement for those dealing with or recovering from long-term pain and illness, for Audrey awaiting surgery and for relief from her pain, for Deb and Stu, for Carol L. who returned to the hospital this week, for Hank and Bev E., for Kathy B. for relief from her pain, for Heidi, and for Karen S. as she continues with chemo and radiation treatments. And Lord, for so many others whose needs are perhaps not known specifically to us or who prefer to remain private. Loving Father and Shepherd, we ask that you wrap your arms around each of these brothers and sisters, that they would feel you holding them up as they walk these difficult journeys. Holy Spirit, as we spend this time together, whether in person or from afar, we ask that you fill this place. Pour out your blessing over Pastor Matthew as he speaks your words to us. Remove the blinders from our eyes and hearts that keep us from walking and living humbly with you. 
generous and loving God, we praise you for the freedom to worship in this place, with this community, and in your presence. We pray for your peace and blessing to be poured out upon us according to your mercy. May your will be done in and through us, now and forever. Amen. It is also my privilege to lead us in the reading from the Word this morning. And this morning's words come from various passages in Proverbs. Um, I'm not going to list all of the particular verses because there are a lot, uh, but if you would follow along on the screen or just in listening. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the unplowed field of the wicked produce sin. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but he sets the widow's boundary stones in place. It is not good to eat too much honey, nor is it honorable to search out matters that are too deep. The sayings of Agur, son of Jacob, an inspired utterance. This man's utterance to Ithiel. I am weary, God, but I can prevail. Surely I am only a brute, not a man. I do not have human understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I attained to the knowledge of the Holy One. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name, and what is the name of his son? Surely you know. This is the word of the Lord. Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what that was all about, we are starting a new series this summer looking at the book of Proverbs. And if you've ever read it, uh, Proverbs is, um, well, it's sort of a grab bag. There's just different pieces of wisdom all laid out right next to each other. And so it can be difficult to find a way to understand what is going on. And so one of the things we'll be doing this summer is trying to lift out some of these Proverbs and gather them around some themes together and, and look at that. Um, and so before we do that, would you join me in a prayer? Lord Jesus, in the Bible, you show us that you are wisdom. You always knew the right thing to do when you walked in this world. We confess that a lot of times it's very hard for us to understand what we should do next or where to place our feet. When you walked here, you showed us what it looks like to live your life knowing that you were never alone but always connected to your Father. We confess that many times in our lives here, we go around feeling confused and alone. Lord Jesus, when you lived in this world, you showed us that it was possible to embrace 
many different kinds of people whom you disagreed with and whom did not like you. We confess that we find that very hard to do, and we're short on models for how it could be done. Lord Jesus, when you walked in this world, you gave us good words to say and to hear about what life is really like, and you give us those words now in Proverbs. And so we ask, O oh God, that you would come by your Spirit so that we would know the next thing to do that honors you, so that we would know that we are not alone, so that we would know what it looks like to live our lives as people who are free in your presence, to embrace those whom we disagree with and to love those who hate us. We pray this in your name. Amen. We started to look together at the book of Proverbs last Sunday, and this is a book about wisdom for living in the world. Uh, it brought to mind a story that I like very much that I wanted to share with you. It's a story by Will Willimon, and uh, it goes like this. It's about a parishioner who was leaving church one Sunday. Uh, the pastor was standing at the door of their small country parish, greeting people as they left. Uh, and this pastor was new to the congregation and was young. And the parishioner, as she waited in line, it became her turn, and she greeted the pastor at the door, and she said, you are not even 30. What could you possibly know? Well, in the story, the pastor is wearing a stole, and he drew himself up to his full height, and he grabbed the stole around his neck, and he said, Madam, when I wear this, and when I climb into that pulpit, I am more than 2,000 years old with more than two millennia of experience. Now, that was probably not the wisest thing to say, right? But the point's well taken. So much of our lives is spent around our opinions about what makes sense, what I think right now what's new or novel in the world, which makes for interesting conversations, but not necessarily for very good wisdom. Anyone who has ever had a medical intern show up for their surgery consultation knows that sometimes you want a little experience in the room. All of us have places in our lives right now where we're looking for wisdom. The world that we are wading through right now seems particularly gray, and we're trying to navigate difficult choices in a foggy world. So this summer, we're looking at Proverbs in order to connect ourselves to ancient wisdom, in order to help us navigate life with the wisdom of God. And one of the things that we see at the outset here in Proverbs chapter 3 is that that wisdom, that Proverbs imagines life as a path that is often poorly marked, right? And wisdom would mean knowing how to step on the path, knowing which ways to turn along the inevitable forks in the road. And there's a poem here that we started with in Proverbs chapter 3, and, and it imagines a conversation between a father and a son, and the father is eager to impart wisdom to his son, things that were imparted to him and that he has learned in his life to pass down to his new and novel and inexperienced child. And so he puts a hand on his son's shoulder, and it's as though they walk together through the world. And Proverbs, in the voice of this father, they often break 
the gray world that we live in down into black and white choices, which is a little bit strange, right? This is wisdom. That is folly. This is desirable. That is detestable. That is dangerous. This is healthy. It's one or the other along this path, and we're const- it's as though we're constantly confronted by moments in which we choose between wisdom and folly, between life and death itself, between flourishing and ruin. But Proverbs is not intending for us to memorize all of this as though if we just put the right code in there, we can become robots who always make the right choices. No, no, Proverbs is not trying to take away our choices in life. Proverbs is trying actually to empower us to make better ones, to empower us to make wise ones. Because wisdom is about being able to choose to walk the good, which means that you have to be able to know what the good is, which means you have to be able to see the good when it's given to you on a path. Proverbs suggests to us that that we see the road of life by two different kinds of light, right? We see the road that we're walking on either by the light of humility or we see it with haughty eyes and a proud heart. One of the fundamental characteristics of the wise Proverbs wants to show us is that they are not proud. They are not wise in their own eyes. And so this is one of the things that we look at together at the starting point. When we talk about pride, when we think about pride, I think a lot of times we we think about it in terms of actions, right? A proud moment, right? A proud comment, a proud parent, right? But Proverbs wants us to know that pride is not about whether or not you put the honor roll bumper sticker on your car. Pride is a way of seeing the world as you walk through it. Pride is seeing the world with self-wisdom, you could call it. Being wise in your own eyes. Have you seen someone who's wise in their own eyes? Proverbs asks. There's more hope for a fool than there is for them. So the Proverbs, the Father's Proverbs highlight that there's an irony to pride for us in places like chapter 29, 23, and chapter 11, too, that pride looks like it should lead to success, but in fact, it leads to disgrace. Humility looks like it should lead to being left out, but in fact, it leads to honor. Those who reach up in pride or take the road of pride to elevate themselves are actually descending to their demise. But those who take the low road, you could say, who are low in spirit, are in just the right place to find wisdom. Have you seen someone who's wise in their own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than there is for them. They think that they're climbing a ladder, but really, they're digging a hole. And what's more, God is not indifferent to all of this. The sages tell us that God has an opinion and a stake in this. God's not indifferent to the proud. God, in fact, subverts the proud. God turns the foundation of their self-made house to sand, and the waters come up, and great is their ruin. But the widow, the widow is on solid ground because she knows that she has no other options but God. And God will help her set the fence posts 
himself. Proverbs is trying to show us that to be wise in your own eyes is really foolishness. Foolishness that is so great that it puts you beyond hope or health. Instead, it's the humble who flourish. And that's a pretty stark thing to say and quite different than I think how we go through most of our lives. How, how can being wise in your own eyes really be that devastating? Well, Proverbs, the sages want us to see that it's devastating because, because pride has its own kind of logic to it, has its own wisdom to it. Fools don't know that they're foolish. Fools think that they are wise, and so they're collapsed in on themselves. The father tells his son that haughty eyes and a proud heart are, they are like the unplowed field of the wicked. The proud heart, you might say, it grows nothing but sin like foxtail. Proverbs imagines that, that the heart is soil, and that deep in that soil is the root of pride, and from that all root of evil grows. Do you know what an unplowed field is, don't you? It's just what comes naturally. So pride views the world in a way that, that just makes sense. It just makes sense to us. Pride is intuitive, you might say. It's practical. It's logical. This is why pride is often described as the, the root sin against God in the church fathers and tradition. This is important because I think that when we imagine images of pride, we automatically think of arrogance or self-importance, right? We think of people like General Douglas MacArthur, right? MacArthur was a decorated Medal of Honor winning general, and he played some key roles during World War II and beyond. In fact, General MacArthur was the one to oversee the occupation of Japan from his battleship in Tokyo Bay. General MacArthur also was the person who put a large mirror in his office on the battleship. And he had his desk placed up on a pedestal. So this way, when anyone walked into his office, they literally had to look up at him. And in looking up at him, they saw his image reflected in the mirror behind, and they saw a man who was not only above them, but larger than life. It is said that Douglas MacArthur insisted that everyone call him general, including his wife. <laughs> Have you ever seen a person who is wise in their own eyes, Proverbs asks? Well, actually, we see it all the time. The proud are usually easy to pick out of a crowd because they're the ones trying to stand taller than everyone else and heading for a fall. But sometimes the unplowed field of pride shows itself in more subtle ways. Not in self-aggrandizement, but in self-doubt. Philosopher Rebecca Conendike de Young spent the first year of graduate school feeling like an imposter. And all the graduate students can say amen and amen, right? Everyone else in her class and in her cohort seems so witty, so well-read, and eager and able to ask brilliant and insightful questions. She thought, surely they made a mistake in letting me in. Grad school was hard, but she said, mostly, I struggled with my own sense of inadequacy. I spent the whole first year of graduate school pulling back into the shadows, believing I had nothing much to contribute, hoping that no one would notice when I said something stupid. 
She didn't think of herself as a proud person. She thought of herself as the opposite. That was until some years later when she was reading Thomas Aquinas. And she stumbled upon a little-known vice called pusillanimity, smallness of soul. When faced with difficult things that God asks of them, the pusillanimous shrink back and they say, I can't do that. And did you know that pusillanimity is a form of pride? How? How's that possible, right? Well, the pusillanimous, she writes, rely on their own puny powers and they focus on their own potential for failure rather on God's gracious call and his promise to equip them for the work that he's called them to do. In other words, smallness of soul is just another weed that grows in the unplowed field of the proud human heart. It's just another way of seeing yourself as the center of the universe and thus in control of your own fear and happiness. Have you ever seen a person who is wise in their own eyes? It's more common than you might think. The young story trips us up because... That's not usually the way we think of pride. The arrogance of the powerful who trust in their riches, sure. But the self-conscious inferiority complex of a graduate student? Yeah, that's pride too. It's hard to believe, but what Proverbs is telling us is that both the self-aggrandizing and the self-doubting have something deeply in common. They are at the center of the universe and in control of their own fear and happiness. Pride beneath the surface of the soil is just self-absorption, and it's in deep. And what Proverbs is trying to tell us is that, in fact, it colors how we see the world. Pride is why a coworker's promotion burns you up inside, or why your jaw tightens when you see your neighbor's new truck. It's envy. Pride is why we cannot help but use people to gratify ourselves. It's, it's lust. It's about bringing what others have toward the center of who I am. Pride is why someone else's friendship with your friend threatens you. It's, it's just jealousy. Pride is why we engage in subtle character assassinations at the office or gossip in the community. Pride is why we find ways to tell stories so that we are the hero or the victim, or both. And Proverbs says that these things, they grow in our hearts like weeds in a wild field. They just come naturally. And so what we are seeing together is that Proverbs is telling us that pride is not a limb you can lop off or a habit you can prune away. It's deeper than that. It's at the root of how we see the world, and it matters. It matters to the sages, and it matters to us, because pride robs us of life's most precious gifts, intimacy, fellowship, trust. Proverbs says that life is a road and the first thing that you need to know in terms of wisdom is being able to tell the difference between the way of humility and the way of pride. And Proverbs tells us it may not look like it, but it is the humble who flourish. 
Why? Because they are teachable. One of my favorite stories about John Calvin is this one. So Calvin was a writer and he was a theologian and a pastor in the 16th century and he's very dear to people in our tradition. If you've never heard of him, that's okay. He's known for many things, but he's probably best known for his commentaries on the Bible. He wrote a commentary on almost every book of the Bible, in addition to preaching like four times a week, in addition to running a church. But his first book that Calvin wrote was not about the Bible at all, and it was written before Calvin was anything other than a young and ambitious scholar. Calvin's first book was a commentary on an ancient Roman philosopher named Seneca. It's okay if you don't know that name either, just bear with me. So this commentary on Seneca was published in 1532, and Calvin was like 23 years old. Now, it used to be that a long time ago, books were written with a preface in which the author would thank benefactors for funding the book. Books were very expensive. And they would also um, express some humility about the book's aims, and they would preemptively apologize for any errors in the book that someone might come across. Well, at the wise age of 23, Calvin didn't do any of these things. Instead, he wrote a preface for his commentary on Seneca with a pretty presumptuous tone. He said, among other things, that he was confident that the best critics in the world would give him good reviews, uh, and he refused to claim any excuses for the quality of the work. First book, pretty sure he nailed it. But wait, there's more, because Calvin goes on in his preface to say that he's also pretty sure that he's found things in Seneca that even the greatest world-class scholars have not found. Calvin is, moreover, so confident of his success that he pays for the publication all by himself. Now, I want you to imagine a new seminary graduate writing a self-published book in which she or he says that they are confident that they know more than N.T. Wright, who's been publishing on the New Testament for longer than the seminary graduate has been alive. And you get the sense. Well, anyway, the reviews of Calvin's book were poor, and so was Calvin. That was 1532. Four years later, Calvin publishes a two-volume major theological work called The Institutes. And if you read the preface to that book, you will hardly recognize the man. The, the methods for research and writing, they're the same, but it doesn't sound like the same guy. He doesn't talk about himself. He's not trying to make a name for himself. He's talking about writing to be understood and to be useful to common people in the church. In fact, when those institutes were published and when people were like, man, this is really good stuff, no one knew who wrote it because he published it anonymously. It was only years later that he admitted to actually writing it after many people had been pestering him. And this is what he said. I did not in the least expect success, but the Lord in his infinite goodness has given it. I deeply felt that I was much more favored than I deserved. Four years, different man. What changed? In Calvin's commentary on the Psalms, he tells us what happened. He says, what happened first was that God tamed my mind, which had been 
too stubborn for its years by a sudden conversion to teachableness. Before his conversion, Calvin thought he was big stuff and nobody cared. After his conversion, he realized that he was small time, but people began to seek him out tirelessly. And the difference? God made him teachable. God plowed the field of his heart. And as for Calvin, so for us. Our only hope to get out of the box of our own self-wisdom is to have the unplowed field of our heart cultivated by someone else, to have the roots and the weeds of our pride and all its forms revealed to us and then rooted out. Our only hope is so often to be brought low and broken open by the God who made us and who can cultivate a heart of wisdom in us instead. As Proverbs 3 put it, the only way out of being wise in our own eyes is to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not terror. (laughs) The fear of the Lord, my friends, is the deeply sane recognition that we are not God. And because we are not God, there are things we don't know. There are things that are just beyond us. And so Proverbs tells us that the wise person is the humble person, and the humble person knows that there are things that are just beyond her. And she's okay with that. To know that there are things you do not know is the beginning of wisdom. It is the gut-level realization that sounds like the strange words of this old sage named Augur. What makes Augur wise at the end of his life is not that he can recount all of the things that he has learned, but that he tells us in very simple terms, there's a lot he doesn't know. He can see himself rightly in his own eyes because he knows that in all his wisdom, there are still many things that he will never understand. But he's not despairing about that. He's not pumping himself up for all that he's learned, and he's not despairing over what he'll never discover. In fact, you know what he's doing? He's singing. He's singing a hymn of faith to the God who does know, to God who can gather the winds in his hands, which he'll never be able to do, to God who stores the rain and the clouds up in heaven. How does he do that? I don't know. To God who sets the boundaries of the earth in place and told the waters that they could come this far and no farther. To God who we know has a son and whose name has been given to us, Jesus, who comes down from heaven where wisdom dwells and in whom all the treasures of wisdom are hid and thus revealed to us. In his wisdom, Jesus wraps a towel around his waist and at a meal with his students, his disciples, he washes their feet. He washes the feet of Judas the wrathful who will take justice into his own hands no matter the cost. He washes the feet of Peter the envious, who oscillates always back and forth between a superiority and inferiority complex. He washes the feet of all the disciples who are slothful and slow to learn and don't really understand very much three years later. And yet, 
And yet Jesus calls them friends, his friends, his brothers. And then Jesus, in his wisdom, gives himself on the cross so that they and we might be called children of God. Jesus, the wisdom of God who made wind, has the breath taken from his body at the hands of the proud. Jesus, the image of the invisible God, is smeared with blood. The one who made trees is nailed to one. The Son of God who was exalted is humiliated, and all so that the proud could become as little children, so that those who could not trust anything but themselves could trust in the Lord with all their heart and know deep in their soul that they don't really understand that much. But God does. And Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? We praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden things that seem obvious from the wise and learned, and you have revealed them to little children. And little children get these things simply because they know that they need them and they cannot find them on their own, and so they ask. This is what you were pleased to do, Father, and this is what you are still doing through Jesus, by your Spirit, for us. And so in this world that is confusing and difficult to understand and full of scary things, we ask that you would help us to come to you and that you would come to us, for we are weary and burdened and eager for rest. Give us your yoke and teach us what it means to be gentle and humble and so find rest in you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. When we come into this place, we meet God, and God meets us with the things that we need through His words, through reminders of His promises and His goodness to us. It's a lot to digest. One of the ways that we do that is by enabling our third through fifth graders to have a moment to talk together about the things that they're observing and hearing and learning in church with some of our church leaders. And so I want to invite our third through fifth graders to come forward because we have a blessing for you. People of God, what is our prayer? Almighty and loving God, thank you for the gift of your word. Help us to believe what we have heard, plant it deep in our hearts, and live in ways that honor you above all. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Thanks. Friends, we respond to God together by lifting our voices in song. Would you rise in body or in spirit and let's sing, I surrender all.
up our trust in the things that we thought could lead us to life because we've seen their worthlessness. With open hands, we're given something else good to hold, our, a, a faith, a tradition that is big and it's old and it's good and it's been here a long, long time and it's seen a lot of life in this world. Let's confess that faith together through the Apostles' Creed. Together, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day rose again. 
seated at the right hand of God Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Brothers and sisters, Lift up your eyes, open your hands, and receive God's parting blessing for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Blessed, let's go singing. Shine.
Go in peace now to love and serve Jesus Christ. You may be dismissed.